Well, I will say the only thing I'm disappointed in, Rebecca, is the fact that there were no pictures. Uh, oh, there are a few. Oh, are there? Are there in there? Yeah, here's one right here. Um, I don't know how well you can see it online, but this is me at the at uh, visiting the uh, Fannin homestead in uh, northern Kentucky. There's the whole thing in the book about how I went back and the whole story that happened around that. I'm not going to give it away here, but there was a whole story about what happened that day in Kentucky at the Fannin homestead. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Babuhai, bienvenidos, vitaita, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly. Business class listeners, this is your host, Dennis Wisco, and I'm looking forward to having this discussion with my guest today. This is another year. This is episode number 208. And before there was 208, there was 188. And on that episode featured author, journalist, and just overall hustler, Mrs. Rebecca Fannin. She's back with me today, and she has a new book out called Silicon, Silicon Heartland, Transforming the Midwest from Rust Belt to Tech Belt, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon. Links will be on the description. The Rust Belt reminds me of, reminds me a lot of Czech Republic, and since the U.S. often leads in areas of innovation and progress, maybe we could start to get some leading indicators of where other economies could be, and in particular, the Czech, the Czech economy. So business class listeners, please welcome Mrs. Rebecca Fannin. Rebecca, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very excited about the launch of my new book, Silicon Heartland. How long, how long have you been working on this book now? I, I, I don't recall the last time we spoke that you were working on this. Um, so how, how long has this been in the making? Two years. Okay. So you were working on this, obviously, during the, during the, the pandemic. That's amazing. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's launching March 7. So it's coming right up. And yeah, I did all the research and interviews uh, and the writing during COVID. Well, and tell me a little bit about the inspiration here, because obviously you're originally from the Midwest, the Rust Belt. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, was this something that you have, even before you started writing it, that you already had the idea that you saw this happening in the Rust Belt so that you're like, oh, well, this kind of makes sense? Or what, what was the inspiration for you to start with this? Yeah, no, I had observed what was going on in Columbus, which is near my hometown of Lancaster in Ohio. And we used to call Columbus Cowtown, but now it's more like Tech Town. As you know, Intel is moving in with its new semiconductor manufacturing plant. And Google and Facebook and Amazon all have campuses there now, too. And it's become a startup hub. That's happening throughout the Midwest in other cities, such as Pittsburgh and Detroit and Cincinnati and Dayton. But I tell you, the real inspiration came when I read an article in the New York Times. At the same day, I was quoted in the New York Times for my prior book, Tech Titans of China. And um, the lead article in the Times was about Portsmouth, Ohio being the opioid capital of the nation. And I'm from that area. Um, my relatives are from that area. And it was just such an ironic contrast of 
uh, covering China and being in the New York Times the same day as this is a front page article about opioid addiction. And, um, you know, I had seen this transformation of innovation, um, but I wasn't quite so familiar with the downside. So I look, I have a lot of curiosity and I wanted to go explore the region. So that's what I did. I got in my car and took off <laughs> driving from market to market. And it's interesting too, right? Because again, for the last 30 years or so, maybe longer, we've always known manufacturing to, you know, start to be outsourced or, you know, going away from the, from the Midwest area. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really only until recently that America has started to put more focus and attention, focus and attention back into manufacturing, but it's obviously looking different because you've had technology really accelerate over those last thirty years. And so, tell me about how you're seeing technology, you know, factor into the Rust Belt. Right. Well, the days of the steel mills and the coal mines and. Uh, those kind of Rust Belt industries um, has transformed into a higher tech uh, manufacturing focus. So you'll see AI as part of manufacturing. You'll see robotics as part of manufacturing. You'll see 3D printing as part of manufacturing. But along with that is a lot of tech innovation that's spilling into these new markets uh, based upon specialties of each market, such as uh, biotech, in Cleveland uh, from the Cleveland Clinic and AI and robotics in Pittsburgh from Carnegie Mellon University uh, and in Columbus, a lot of health tech uh, and insurance tech because of Ohio State University and nationwide insurance is there. At Detroit, you see a lot of innovation around mobility because of the automotive heritage there and how the automotive industry is transforming so it was very interesting to see these tech clusters develop in individual markets. And how would you describe then, like, you know, if we were to look at some of the inputs into the Rust Belt in 2023, right? Uh, you have technology, you have people, you have money, you know, how would you describe or what are some of the more important inputs that are driving the transformation of the Rust Belt? Well, certainly the universities and the research institutes are in a very important part of this uh, talent uh, that's emerging in the Midwest, this talent pool that is a really um, booming and has escalated as a result of the pandemic and the trend toward remote working that people have left uh, the coast, for instance, Silicon Valley, where it's very pricey and crowded, and the mindset changed during the pandemic, and people uh, wanted to have a different lifestyle, maybe a more affordable lifestyle, a more comfortable lifestyle, to be more with family. So we've seen this uh, migration of talent moving back to the heartland. Uh, there's a number of people that I know from Silicon Valley who uh, have left and gone back. Uh, to the Midwest, to the heartland, and they're doing well. So these Midwestern markets are all, are also encouraging this tech talent to move. They're even offering bonuses to people to move, relocation bonuses to move. 
I think it's a, partly it's the venture capital that uh, has increased in the region, and it's also coming in from the coast. It's the talent pool. It's these institutions such as the universities and the research institutions, and it's just the culture of the people of being very hardworking and determined and um, very um, uh, doing things their own way. Uh, it's not like Silicon Valley. It's not a lot of bragging going on, but there's a lot of practicality to it. So the so the the re- remote work has more like physically migrated people to the Rust Belt as opposed to, you know, exporting their talent, their money, while those same people physically live still somewhere, you know, on the coasts or in the urban areas of the United States? Well, um, I'm seeing quite a few um, picking up and moving and uh, setting up new startups in, in cities like Cleveland. And when they do, uh, they have seemed to have benefit with increased sales and also lower operating costs. So it's been a plus for the startups that have been able to uh, get funding and uh, really for the entrepreneurs to live out their dream with, uh, you know, having impact with their own uh, startup. So there's numerous case studies in my book that illustrate this trend. Well, to that point, um, as I was reading in Chapter 7, dubbed the Innovation Districts, how Mm -hmm. heartland cities and towns are creating local resources to help businesses regain competitiveness, you state here, steep steep real estate prices on the coasts have led millennial home buyers who comprise 36% of purchases to move inland a ranking of the top 20 cities for this age group shows several Midwestern cities scoring high for affordability, livability, and job opportunities. Right. So, so then it is, it is a younger workforce that is coming in, you know, this it's effectively my age group that is coming into the Midwest and starting to redevelop it and getting it ready for the next 30 or, or 50 years. Are you seeing um, any sort of, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say, like, is there a specific aspect of the, of the education of the people that are going in there? I mean, I guess they're all just uh, leaning more towards heavily, you know, tech, um, tech-based industry, uh, education. Is there something even more specific to that? Is it on the engineering side, software side? Yeah, definitely engineering is a driver. Uh, so, um, and I think tech specialization has been uh, an important contributor to this Rust Belt rebuild. And this region of the country was the uh, economic center of the U.S. for back dating, you know, 1900 and all the way through to 1950 and and then things shifted with the tech boom to the coast to boston and to new york and silicon valley and we saw the job loss of production going to china and to mexico so the heartland lost its backbone with that and it now has to redevelop into new areas of technology that it can 
uh, Excel and not necessarily the software and AI of Silicon Valley, but it's more widespread. Uh, and um, technology, as you know, it touches everything today and every field and um, business-wise and consumer-wise uh, it's changed the way that um, we live and, and do business. And so many of these ideas that are coming out of the uh, out of the heartland uh, capture that opportunity. So it, let me so so along with that, then let me quote again from your book. Um, this is from chapter seven because this is you in Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. And you are telling of a story that you witnessed. So from the book, you say, downstairs, I saw Fitz frames making 3D printed eyeglass frames. A custom design is made from a mobile app photo of the customer's face and molded in three snap-in parts with the wearer's signature printed inside. CEO Gabriel Schlumberger, if I butchered that, forgive me, hatched the business idea after constantly replacing his kids' broken glasses. In this era of decentralized working, Schlumberger lives in Los Angeles and outsources production to his Youngtown team, making for a product fully designed and manufactured in the U.S. This sounds like, you know, Gabriel has almost like solved this problem of taking a lot of the things he has learned um, in wherever it is, at least he lives in Los Angeles now, he had his problems with the family and now he's using the cost affordability and the innovation that's starting to happen in that Rust Belt to put together this business. This is not the only case that you cited here. When you witness some of these things, as someone who was local to that area, like how do how do you end up viewing and perceiving that? It was kind of surprising to me. I had been away from the region for 20 years, except for family visits and holidays. I had really seen the business side of it, this tech uh, innovation that was springing up. And so it was kind of exciting to learn about Youngstown and its advanced manufacturing focus. Youngstown was one of those leading steel towns. And, you know, with the steel companies left and the automotive companies left, uh, Youngstown faced despair, poverty. Uh, it was ripped apart and, and now it's rebuilding with advanced manufacturing, high-tech manufacturing. Uh, the Lordstown, Ohio plant that I visited uh, in uh, out right outside of Youngstown is um, now making electric pickup trucks. <laughs> and it's owned by Foxconn now, the Taiwanese company. And uh, I met with the founder of this uh, company and got to tour the factory. It was this humongous BM factory that made um, uh, Chevys and uh, was very much in the news. Uh, when the plant closed. And uh, that was actually not that long ago. So um, these factory closings uh, really were a jolt for the community. Did you say these factories closing? These factory closings. Yeah, okay. So the traditional factory closings, you mean? The traditional factories closing. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So now this Lordstown plan is making electric vehicle pickup trucks. <laughs> and is is that kind of overall what you're seeing is that you have the existing infrastructure of the old manufacturing uh you know rust belt right that they're 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 just using existing assets using the existing infrastructure and then just really implanting more technology and the people into this already existing physical framework well sometimes sometimes it's a matter of retooling so uh, when i visited that that factory um in lordstown they had all the gm equipment there the robots the stamping plants, the welding plants, the whole thing. It was uh, several acres. It was, I don't I remember exactly how many acres, but the size of many football fields. Uh, and we had to tour it in the golf course. You couldn't just walk it. It was huge. The same thing in, um, when I went to Dayton and I toured the, uh, Fox or the, um, Boyo glass plant in Dayton, uh, which was also a former GM plant. The Chinese came in and bought that plant, uh, and they have uh, now transformed it into making windshields. And uh, I think it's a famous uh, factory, actually, because it was uh, featured in the film "An American An American Factory." Uh, so I think I think I have the name of that movie right. Um, yeah, but with, that was like with produced by the Obamas. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I visited that plant as well. And um, it has been transformed, but they're working with the original plant. Now, on the other side, there's a lot of new startups that have uh, emerged and they are building their own uh, plants and their own. Um, sometimes it's not even they need a factory. They need uh, just you know, software development. They need AI. They need the, the more of the talent, the computer part of it, the digital part of it. Uh, and so that's not going to be a factory, but uh, it's uh, it, it may be it may not be something you can see as you drive down the highway. But it, it's happening behind the behind the scenes, like, for instance, uh, in New Albany, Ohio, uh, the fact that Google and Facebook and Amazon all have these campuses in there, but you, you can't tell what they're doing in there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I would think that, you know, right. I, I, along the coasts, at least in California, obviously you're in San Francisco, you, you see some of these tech campuses, which are very transparent, you know, um, but then yet what I'm envisioning based on what you're saying is if I go to the Google campus in the, in the Midwest there, it's a little bit more, you know, closed off in terms of what they're doing. Still, obviously, I'm sure doing great work, but it doesn't kind of have that inspirational look that the Google campus in Silicon Valley has, right? Well, that's true. It's a very specific purpose, you know, for, uh, and uh, it's not their corporate headquarters or even their regional headquarters. It's, you know, it's the software campus, really, software hub. Uh, so, yeah, they're not going to, it's not the same. It's not like the Steve Jobs satellite campus right? Well, in, so, in Cupertino. So let me ask you this. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have you pick some winners and losers, but you don't have to specifically, I'm sure you won't state the companies, but let's say the winners and losers of, 
um, you know, the industries that will help contribute to the domestic economy and to the global economy. So if you looked at now this transformation of the Rust Belt and what they're going through, and if we look five years, 10 years down the road, domestically in the United States, where are we going to see the most impact from the Rust Belt? And then globally, where do you think that you know, which industries, which sectors, uh, which technologies from the Rust Belt would be contributing to the global economy as a whole? Right. Um, I think the impact of reshoring, uh, bringing jobs back to America is a heartland story. And uh, we uh, can see how this is changing the dynamic uh, with other countries globally that we trade with, uh, we, uh, the United States, uh, for instance, with semiconductors, uh, we invented semiconductors, uh, but we don't make them. Uh, we don't make most of them. But now uh, we are bringing back semiconductor production to the US. Uh, Intel made this $20 billion investment in Ohio to build a semiconductor plant. So I think Semiconductors is an important part of it. And, you know, it doesn't sound all that exciting, but semiconductors go into all of these electronic and digital uh, products that we use. And uh, so it is a major, major um, uh, impact, I think. Uh, I also think uh, the idea of advanced manufacturing, of uh, turning old line manufacturing, uh, assembly work into higher tech work, uh, where you'll see robotics play a big part of advanced manufacturing and uh, 3D printing as well. Uh, for instance, old line industries, uh, the foundry business uh, was uh, a very rust, uh, rust, uh, you know, nuts and bolts kind of industry. Uh, but now with 3D printing, that's, that's a major transformation. And we can see that this foundry business, which also left the United States in a big part, uh, can have a chance to um, uh, remake the heartland. So it, it's in a lot of fields. Um, it's in uh, sustainability, for instance. I think there's a big push for uh, environmental packaging. Uh, I uh, visited a company uh, called um, Pure Cycle, uh, which has an invention for recycling the toughest uh, plastics and uh, they have a factory that's going um, and recycling. So I think recycling is part of, the, of it as well, uh, because as we know, we're, we're, uh, we're building up uh, more and more waste and more and more electronics waste and, and that tough kind of plastic that's hard to recycle. So here's this little, um, uh, here's this startup uh, along the Ohio River. It has this, um, has this uh, technique uh, to recycle this. It's actually from uh, Procter & Gamble, originally from Procter & Gamble, the technology. But this startup has been able to um, uh, license this technology and use it to develop its own its own um, plant and its own um, partnerships with major packaged goods companies. Uh, I think Pac Procter & Gamble will be using some of these recycled plastics in its own products. It's shampoos, it's detergents, you name it. Procter & Gamble makes a lot of household products that need plastics packaging. So this is a win-win. 
Yeah, you know, so as you describe what you're seeing there, I can't actually help but think of how the workforce is also just significantly different. I mean, as you think back to your days growing up um, in the Midwest there, you know, obviously when you had a factory, you had whatever, 200 people help with assembling a car. But now you don't need that because you do have robotics and you have more automation. So now you can significantly cut back on on that on the amount of the labor force. But their obviously their skill set is very different. You know, maybe as a last question of of guidance, you know, if you are to assess the workforce, be it from the you know unskilled laborer call it of someone who basically is just a factory worker but again like even let's face it a, a factory worker today does not have the same connotation as it did 50 100 years ago you know a factory worker today is actually someone who can be very skilled so how how would you describe the current factory worker in this transformation of the rust belt well there's a lot of retraining of factory workers today it's, it's not just the straight assembly line working. It's uh, bringing in uh, new technologies uh, to to the factory. And so I think retraining is an important part of this uh, makeover story or this comeback story for the Rust Belt. And uh, we are seeing uh, much more need for engineers today. Um, and... Uh, that is throughout the heartland. So I think um, the schools that are in this in the heartland are putting more attention on new programs for retraining workers. Um, you can't expect um, you know an old line factory worker to suddenly know how to do some of this uh, high tech stuff. Uh, as we saw with with uh, the generational divide when computers and the internet came in, some people. Some people never really got onto the internet. They just didn't have the environment or uh, to be able to do that. So it's the same kind of thing. Retraining is really important. Uh, creating an environment where people can learn how to use these new tools is very important. Well, very good. Well, Rebecca, uh, your book comes out March 7th, correct? Right. March 7th on Amazon. Um, for people and Barnes that... & Noble. And any independent bookseller. And um, as when when people, you know, again, I, for me, one of the things that I love about your writing is that as I as I read through it, to me, it it just it reads like this business journal, right? There's a there's a combination of story and there's a combination of stats, and it's like your and data, right? So, for me, I I love reading that type of work. Um, you know, for you. Writing this book was it any different than your Silicon Dragon book, or how 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 was the writing process on this book different or the same as previous? Well, look, um, the research was uh, very similar. Uh, however, I had Zoom to help with the uh, research. So, uh, starting out, um, I initially did uh, prep interviews with a number of people in the region uh, over Zoom. And then I was able to put together a list of, of 
people that I wanted to interview in person uh, and build out an itinerary of those that I would interview in person during this road trip. Uh, so when I did this road trip, uh, it was a homecoming for me uh, in that I was in my own territory. I wasn't in China or, or India or some foreign market. I, I was in my homeland. Um, so it was very personal um, and very interesting for me to see uh, what has happened to the region in the 20 years that I was pretty much gone. Uh, <clears throat> and I um, am still going back to the region, but I haven't decided to move there yet. Uh, but yeah, it was a much more of my own journey as well as a person um, who left, um, like uh, some other people did. Um, I think most of my high school classmates, they've stayed. They stayed in the region. Uh, and um, But some of us uh, left and uh, now can see the region with fresh eyes after many years of being away. So, yeah, it was much more of a personal uh, story for me than my prior books, which were more uh, business-like. There's a few more stories in this in this uh, new book. Uh, and uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of me in this book. Well, I will say the only thing I'm disappointed in, Rebecca, is the fact that there were no pictures. Uh, oh, there are a few. Oh, are there, are there in there? I there are a few. There's, no. there's one of me. And um, there's one of me at the uh, Fannin Homestead in Kentucky, where I visited uh, to go back to see my own roots on the Fannin side of the family. And then in the beginning, there's a picture of me outside of Cleveland. Uh, but look, on the book tour, I have a whole presentation built around photos from my road trip. I have hundreds of photos. Oh, uh, I, from I, the I region. wish. I, well. I mean, again, this only justifies more business class that you have to order the book in order to see some of these pictures. I will be ordering the book so I can view these pictures, but uh, definitely uh, maybe putting these up online. I think it'd be really interesting to to see all these pictures uh, that you gathered there because I'm sure that's, sure. you know, it's harder to find a collection of all of these images. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, so right right now they're they're in the book, but uh, and they're in my presentations that I've been making. Uh, uh, in the I have done several presentations already in New York and Silicon Valley and L.A. and Las Vegas. Uh, so it, they're getting around, but uh, yeah, sure we can put the we can put these um, photos. And there's some really great ones too, of. Uh, you know, me standing in front of the last steel mill, last operating steel mill in the Pittsburgh region. Uh, and uh, yeah, here's one right here. Um, I don't know how well you can see it online, but this is me at the at uh, visiting the uh, Fannin homestead in uh, northern Kentucky uh, along Zion Ridge, uh, which I hadn't been back to Um but I had been there once before, 20, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen it since. There's the whole thing in the book about how I went back and the whole story that happened around that. I'm not going to give it away here, <laughs> but there was a whole story about what happened that day in Kentucky at the Fannin Homestead. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, well, 
another another book it looks like you might be go getting away from perhaps the uh the business books and getting in more to the to the non-fiction side or maybe the well, fiction it, side it, 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 <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> well, i i am i mean you're right you picked up on one thing uh, that i i'm very uh just i i i always because i'm trained as a journalist you know i i've been a journalist all my life so uh having um Having the backbone of statistics, uh, which there are many, there are many charts in the book, of uh, like for instance this one, uh, the the top heartland markets uh, and showing uh, the trend toward uh, new talent moving in, um, and there's many more uh, charts in, in the book. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not an all chart book. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of personality in it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think uh, I I may have to request a special book, uh, which is just a picture book. Uh, so the picture that's... book, okay, <laughs> sure, yeah, 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 needs... yeah. We will we will put those up on the website. I, I think yeah. it's uh, it's a good idea. Well, good. And and what's the website uh, that uh, my listeners can take a look at these pictures eventually, or or what website uh, is a good sure. one for them to visit? Yeah, it's uh, silicondragonventures.com. dot com. It's a, a media venture uh, that I launched in 2000 and have been running since then with events and news, uh, always covering the frontier of innovation. And that you have, especially with your last book, Silicon Dragon, which I've read. Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for sharing with us more about your book. Uh, again, I'm looking forward to reading it cover to cover. And business class listeners, you can take a look at the episode page for links to pre-order her book, which comes out on March 7th. That's Silicon, Silicon Heartland, Transforming the Midwest from Rust Belt to Tech Belts. Rebecca, thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Dennis. Take care. Well, business class, that was Rebecca Fannin. Definitely look to pre-order her book. If you want to get the hardcover, you could do that on Amazon. And for my audience that is overseas, outside of the United States, uh, you can order the book on Kindle. Uh, again, I, one of the things that I found fascinating about some of the excerpts that I've read myself are how the innovation, the progression of the Rust Belt oftentimes mirrors what happens in other places outside the United States, for instance, the Czech Republic. I'll give you an example. In this town of Slavkov, uh, which is a very smaller rural town closer to Brno, there's one company over there where I had the chance to tour the entire facility. And this is really the biggest company in that town. It's probably one of the biggest companies in the Czech Republic. It's been around since the mid-90s, family-owned. It's called Glikos. And initially, they started as just a glass manufacturer, simple glass. And over the years, they began to evolve and innovate the business, so much so that in today's business operation, what started as just glass has now turned to, turned into things like creating modern office spaces using glass as partitions. And not only are these glass partitions just a transparent material, 
but they incorporate technology where you have the glass that can be um, laminated. And with that lamination, you can then start to, I actually don't even know what the technological process is, but you can now take the glass and make it opaque, or you can make it, uh, you know, somewhat translucent, and then you can go to full transparency. So imagine then in a very small office space, you could put these glass partitions up and then immediately change the view of the glass so that it's fully opaque. And then you can kind of be in an enclosed office. And then when you need to kind of, you know, have the, have the feel of an open office space, then you turn off the opaqueness of the glass and you make it transparent and then you can see all the way through. And that has also evolved where they build from start to finish these sustainable buildings. Um, I will post pictures of this um, on Substack on my newsletter. But again, this is just an example of how a lot of these suburban rural towns that were predominantly this manufacturing town have evolved, incorporating, they're incorporating more technology. And it's just so interesting to see how these plants have turned itself around, what they're doing with the people that work there. Again, that was a question that I asked Rebecca with regards to what, how that workforce is transforming, you know, what type of skills that they have. Um, it sounds like, you know, this is my interpretation and analysis of what Rebecca was saying was that because a large part that is driving this transformation is the educational systems and the institutes, you know, essentially at the foundational level, education is at the heart of it. So then at these universities, you have a lot of people that you have a lot of companies that are starting to partner work with these universities and enabling both the university and the company to apply you know, all sorts of innovative technologies, innovative knowledge in order to improve working conditions, improve the labor force. So I think that actually would be something that would be interesting to see somewhere in rural towns, in rural countries, landlocked countries that are predominantly a manufacturing hub. I can, I think of like Dusseldorf, Germany as well. I flew into Dusseldorf and it's definitely an industrial town. But then how you see these industrial towns develop and evolve, in which they probably have already, right? But I think what will be interesting to see is where in this next point are they going to break out and start to separate themselves from the competition, right? I think that it's like, let's call it post-pandemic, you know, since 2020 till now, there's a bit of this, um, you know, a tension or this consolidation that's forming around these manufacturing towns. Um, as Rebecca alluded to, you know, you have some, some of these existing plants and infrastructures that are in the Midwest that are simply just being converted, right? So you're kind of just using existing assets and, and innovating uh, on top of that and retooling it. So then it'll, it is, it's, it's interesting. You're having this consolidation of labor of, knowledge of technology and then it'll it's just a matter of time 
until you start to see the breakouts of opportunities to where certain companies in certain regions will start to separate themselves because they have kind of found that product market fit of, 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 of their business. So that's why this is an interesting topic to me. Her book is very interesting to me. Again, I encourage you to, to have a read uh, when it is available on March 7th. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wisco Weekly. As we end every episode, cheers. Prost lachaim kipis nastravi salud kampai mabruk tutsins kampai yamas nastrovie vos salute en saugi to the customer experience. <laughs>